Lingua Podcast live from Dessau is broadcast from Middle Deutschland and features all things languages. The show is hosted by our teachers, presenting students and guests from all walks of language learning experiences. Joining us in the studio today is Dr. Anna Beatrice Ribeiro. She is the founder and business manager of the Leipzig Global International Web Magazine. It is based in Leipzig and written for a local as well as international audience, featuring arts and culture, lifestyle, environment, entertainment, politics, social issues, and more. Interestingly, it's in English. Let's find out more. Okay. So, how's it going? I'm good. Are you in Dessau too? I'm in Dessau. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about me. Let's talk about you. Yeah, it's more important. Why not? Tell me about yourself. Where are you from in the States? North Carolina. Where? In North Ash Carolina. I was born in Asheville. Okay. I lived in Wilmington for three and a half years. Okay. So my parents just, my parents lived in Wilmington. My father retired. They moved to the beach. They lived in Wilmington, actually in Leland. Um, Leland. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But now they just moved back to Western North Carolina. So they're both living in the mountains again. Thank goodness. So yeah. It's much nice. Like Leland is very flat and like lots of, uh, it's very suburban. It's become very suburban. Yeah. So what did you do in Wilmington? I worked as a journalist for okay. Wilmington Star News. <laughs> Small world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My parents lived in Magnolia Greens for 12 years. Oh my years. God, I can't believe it. <laughs> Probably at the same time I was, I worked there from 2007 to 2010 before I moved to Europe. I, I, I yeah, covered actually were, Leland. Were, yeah, I think right around that time they were, I think they were moving there, right? Right around that time. I think they It's lived one of there. the big developments. It was new at the time. Yeah, my father wanted to play golf. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they had golf courses there, huh? Yeah, I remember that. Wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That's, it is a small world. It's insane. Sure. How did you end up in Leipzig? So I was living in Poland in uh, 2012. And I was finishing up my master's and a friend of mine sent me a, an ad for a PhD in Leipzig for a research group. She said, oh, I think this would suit you because of your master thesis. So I applied for it and I got in. So I moved from Wroclaw in Poland to Leipzig, which wasn't such a big move. It's like, I guess, four and a half hours by by van, so we basically <laughs> rented a moving van there and moved together, me and two of my friends, one from Malaysia, the other one from Germany. And we oh. moved into Hoidnitz, which is um, known for its uh, cheap and nice apartments. And uh, not, not as much anymore because prices are going up, but at the time it was really, it worked out really well. Because okay. also it's like not far from the city center, you know, a lot of students, uh, they live in, in Hoidnitz, like for their first place in Leipzig. So your PhD is in global studies? Yep. And what was your dissertation topic? Like what, what did you write about? I wrote about um, development cooperation between the governments of Brazil and Mozambique. Wow. <laughs> 
So why that particular topic? I was born in Brazil. Uh, I lived in the U.S. for a really long time before I, I moved to the U.S. But um, I, I speak Portuguese at a native level still. And this was one of the reasons why I got an internship at the World Health Organization Geneva, writing about Portuguese speaking, so-called Portuguese speaking countries. I mean, like in some of those countries, the majority of the population does not speak Portuguese, but it's the official language. So you call them, you know, Portuguese speaking countries. And I was blogging about them uh, for this uh, department of the WHO and also assembling blue trunk libraries to be sent to these countries in Africa. So the books would come from Portugal and Brazil. And then I found out that most of these books came from Brazil and the biggest recipient of these books was Mozambique. So I became interested in their cooperation. And also I met a fellow intern from Mozambique and she knew a lot about, you know, Brazilian soap operas, pop culture, Brazilian history. And I knew very little about her country. And I wanted to know, you know, why, why that was, you know, that she knew so much more about Brazil than I knew about Mozambique since both of them had been Portuguese colonies. So I went to Mozambique and I, I stayed with her and I started doing research there. And I ended up writing about uh, relations between Brazil and Mozambique for my master's. And then at my PhD, I went deeper into it. I went back to Mozambique. I also um, did field work in Brazil and Portugal. I visited archives, I conducted interviews. So I've just like, I stayed with this topic. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the topic and, and stuck with it for, for years. What came out of your dissertation? I mean, that's a, I know that's a huge question for such a short amount of time that we have, but what, what were some of the main points that came out of the dissertation? Well, one of the main points is that you don't really know a country or a, or a society until you go there. You can write about it all you want, you can read about it, but it's never the same as actually spending time with people, hearing from people who live in that reality in that country. So I learned a lot from the field. And I, I think a second takeaway from this was that um, a lot of people are still uh, perpetuating a colonial discourse. Um, there was a discourse called tropicalism that was um, made popular or even in its form, it was invented by a Brazilian sociologist named Gilberto Freire. And then at first he, he was seen as a progressive person, but then he became involved with the Portuguese and the Brazilian governments. And at some point they were authoritarian regimes and Portugal at the time was trying to hang on to its colonies in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. So he went on a big travel campaign to spread this discourse and even you know the UN became interested. So it became a, a, a discourse that fed into South-South cooperation. Okay. And in the sixties and seventies, there was a book about this diplomats from Brazil went to African countries with this discourse saying, we are one of you. You know, it was basically a discourse that said that Brazilians had inherited uh, Portuguese tolerance in dealing with other peoples and countries um, that was born from colonial times. Mm 
Interesting. And then Brazil went and retrofitted this discourse to fit its purposes in dealing with African countries. And still, when I interviewed people in government involved in development cooperation, they used parts of this discourse in describing each other, basically. Okay. So, so this was the main, so the, the name of the book that I, I published, uh, my, my thesis is a book last year during lockdown actually, and it's called uh, Modernization Dreams Lose Tropical Promises. So it's like Brazil is selling its version of modernization to Mozambique and wrapping it up in this retrofitted colonial rooted discourse. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Thanks. Yeah, it sounds... You're bringing me back to my days of academia. <laughs> like, who knows? Maybe you can get back into it. Uh, I think my father hopes so. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps asking for the book. You can still. I mean, you can still write a book. Now you know it's a lot of a lot of scientists go the route of writing popular literature somehow, like. Liter that, that can reach the masses, you know, that's not only for a small audience. Scientists, historians, you know, like Harari is a big example mm -hmm. of one who reaches the masses and he's a historian, but he's super popular now. Yeah. Okay, so you came to Germany as a PhD student. Yeah. Um, and now you are staying in Leipzig. For the so time being, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> when did you finish your PhD? In 2018, in okay. January. And when did you start Leipzig Glocal? Um, in 2015, in March of 2015. Okay, so when you came to study, you started it just after that. I came to study a long time ago, like in 2012, I arrived here. In 2015, I started LiPlo as a, I guess, a way to procrastinate. <laughs> I was writing my PhD. It was like a very hard process and I needed a creative outlet. And I had just gone through a breakup. So I, I started Lifeblow as an outlet because when I was working for a newspaper in North Carolina, I used blogging as a creative outlet. I had a blog through the newspaper that was a poetry blog. So I channeled the experience from the poetry blog into Leipzig Local. And then I asked people for contributions mm -hmm. to also send in their poetry and their prose and their art. And then at some point, and then people started joining as columnists. So like within a couple of months, it had be become a web magazine because there was very little in English, you know, being published in English in Leipzig. So people were excited about it. They wanted to join the project and then we realized that this could really be a tool to help international people, give okay. them services, information, and so on and so forth. But it didn't, it didn't start out that way. It started out as my, you know, breakup blog. <laughs> so you're a poet. You know, I write poetry, yeah, from time to time. Any particular style? Um, what is the style where you're not trying to directly rhyme, but like sort of, and you're counting the syllables? Haiku? 
I, I've also written haikus here. Like when when I first started with Leipzig Local, I was writing one haiku per day, but now like I, I've fallen out of that. I don't do that anymore. Okay. So it's not haikus, but it's like, yeah, I don't know the name of the style. I just like, I try to count the syllables. It's like the same number of syllables in like alternating lines and then not to rhyme directly, but kind of, what are they called? Indirect rhymes or approximate rhymes or whatever. Yeah. So it's like words that sound like harmonious at the end of, you know. Ah, so homonyms. Homonyms? Is that what it's called? I don't know. Like words that Maybe have homonyms. the same sound but different meanings? I have no idea. No, no. It's like they don't they don't exactly rhyme, but they're mm -hmm. close. Yeah, I, you'd have to read one of the poems to know what I'm talking because I don't know how to explain it. Can you give me an example? Because like, I think rhyming maybe is uh, sometimes a little bit cheesy if you're trying yeah. to rhyme all the time, you know? So maybe like, spoken word, is this spoken word? Would my poetry qualify as spoken word? I don't know. Possibly. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It can be anything you want it to be, basically. Yeah, because yeah. you asked me for a style. So it's like maybe it's spoken word. Maybe yeah. I see, I model myself on these poets that I used to see performing in the Wilmington, North Carolina. They were like spoken word poets. So, so you've always written poetry. Even yeah, okay, always, when you were always. growing up. As I was a child. It so wasn't it, very good, but it was just like a diary. Instead of writing a diary, I would have poems. No, so that means you've, you've always been artistic and creative. I guess. Are you also an artist? Like, are you a, a painter or a sculptor? Or, no. Or just with words? Just with words. And singing. I also sing. Yeah. Like locally at a club or at a bar or, a, or in the U.S. I used to. If I lived in Florida for like 10 years. And Man, you've I lived used to everywhere. No, come on. <laughs> Not everywhere. Not even yeah. close. A lot of places. <laughs> more, place, more places, more places to, than me. <laughs> to live yeah, but not, <laughs> not, as, not as interesting, I think. Yeah. I don't know. So you started Leipzig Local in 2015. Yes. Is this your is this your main priority right now after you completed the PhD? Um Yeah, it has been. It has been my main priority. So how did you get people involved in your project? Because you started it as the breakup poetry website. How did you start getting more people interested in your dream or your project, let's say? I can be very persuasive. <laughs> I don't know. Like I was basically a walking advertisement for a while. Now I don't do it so much anymore, but like I was telling everybody about it. So like my friends, all of them started writing for Leipzig Local. <laughs> okay. Basically, like at some point, almost everyone I knew was involved in it one way or another. All of my, my friends. Here, friends from graduate school or friends that you met in the community some, some from my phd like their spouses mm -hmm. <laughs> some people from the startup community because i started meeting people in the startup community so if they weren't writing maybe they were advertising or they were you know yeah providing tips for things to cover they were involved in some form or another so who reads your magazine the core readership, I guess, would be people like me. 
because I think for a while, for a while, I was writing something every day and like editing all the articles. So it's like, I guess it resonated with people like me with like, I don't know, a graduate level, postgraduate level education, uh, women. So we have like 60, 40 mm-hmm. women, 60% to 40%, 40% men. Um and around uh, between the ages of 25 and 40 that's our core readership and a third of them are in saxony but we have people like from over i I would say over 170 countries who have visited our website at some point or another do you have an office in leipzig we are a buses lager co-working we are part of a co-working space. They have been very supportive of our project as well. Yeah. And how many people do you currently have contributing to your website? There are four of us on the management team. Mm-hmm. And contributors just, you know, they come and go. They, they write when they can. Um, so we mostly rely on the community for content nowadays. So recently we have uh, had the Leipzig Migrants Council election. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people contributed um, questionnaires to that, like candidates answer questionnaires and people wrote stories about the council. So we've had like a flurry of activity over the past couple of weeks. But usually we publish, like nowadays we publish every four days or so. Explain to me how you come up with the ideas for the articles, like the editorials or the opinions. Uh, a lot of the time it's what people want to write about, what people mm-hmm. are passionate about, what's some problem that they've gone through or that they observe or like movie that they liked or a band that they liked. Um, because since we're, we're not able to pay your writers mm-hmm. to be something that they really want to write about. You know, and we also want to be a voice for the community, like uh, to provide a platform for people to express themselves and to tell others uh, what life is is like in this region. So in a sense, you are facilitating a volunteerism aspect of the community, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So we're becoming more and more a social organization. We had a phase where we were more like a startup. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with Corona, that has become very hard to sustain, even harder than before. Yeah. So what is the last article you published on your website? What was it about? Um, It was about the Migrants Council. So So lately, we have been publishing a lot of things about that. We had a couple articles from an Uh, that were brought to us by an artist who Mm -hmm. is uh, Michelle West Davis. She was there basically from the beginning of Leipzig Local. So she still contributes every once in a while, like every week or anything. So if you're not submitting a piece of poetry or a piece of prose, are you more focused on aspects of like social issues that are going on in in Leipzig or in uh, Saxony-Anhalt or or, or in Germany by itself? Okay. I mean... uh, We've written about microaggressions. I wrote. What is is microaggressions? It's like um, veiled discrimination. It's like discrimination, not where people are like pushing you to the ground, but like it's a look that they give you. It's their tone of voice, you know? Yeah, this aggression, microaggression, it's like this aggression 
that's not necessarily like it's not physical violence but it's like but also like it's about being discriminated against when you want to get an apartment you know when you want to get a job when you want to or day-to-day life when someone yells to you abstand you know and you're like at an appropriate distance but this is based on the way you look or you know as a non-german do you sense a degree of prejudice towards you definitely not as much as people who are darker skinned Mm -hmm. then uh, you know it's a i I cannot compare the level of discrimination that i face to the level that a, a black person faces you know but i have had instances where it was clear to me that you know especially when i open my mouth interesting german you know for example for example at a bakery uh during lockdown um the first lockdown we were able to go some do some things like with appointment or whatever like so i was out and i i tried to go into this bakery and there was basically a labyrinth inside this bakery for abstand reasons right Mm -hmm. and the woman just like i couldn't understand the woman's german right away and she just like lost it with me and started yelling you know and it's clear she was like completely like (gasps) exasperated that i didn't understand her right away and she was just like you could see like the anger in her in her actions you know the way that she was treating me so to me that was a clear display of microaggressions because she was not doing this to germans who were coming into the bakery right you know so this was really shocking to me. And there was a German person also waiting for me outside who was really shocked. Yeah, I've experienced this a, a few times, this sort of pattern where they like, you can see the hatred in their eyes, the the, the impatience, the hatred, the, you know. Um, yeah, it's really, really a bad feeling. And I think it prevents people actually from wanting to learn more German, you know, because they are afraid of, because they're so impatient, like they don't really want to, you know, listen to you or talk to you or, you know, so it's like, you're constantly afraid of speaking, you know? Okay. I think I, can, I, I have this. I can see that. I know that, that my partner has been discouraged from applying to PhD programs because, you know, she hasn't had any success in, in anyone answering emails. <laughs> I heard that too. I heard that too. Because of your last name, it's really hard to. And she's had a couple of experiences on Deutsche Bahn to like also like yeah, yeah. She's yeah. That's really unfortunate. Um, But to answer your question, no, I I I have an American driver's license, but Mm -hmm. I haven't dared to try to drive here. Also, I don't miss having a car. Like living in Leipzig, I don't I I don't need a car. I have a bicycle um, that I go around with and I just take the train places. Have you been cycling to the lakes in Leipzig? That's something I haven't done, but I want to do. Maybe we can arrange something like that. Yes, I have. I have been cycling to the lakes. Okay. Lovely. So the lakes are one of my favorite parts. They used to be coal mines and now they're lakes. So nice. what's kept you here then? Um, I guess the Leipzig local has kept me here. Um, my friends, I have a lot of 
lovely friends, also lovely Germans who are have been my friends for a while. Um, I'm also married to a German. I met here after I arrived here. He was doing also a. We were in some of the same working groups. Mm -hmm. you know, like you just finished his PhD. So it's a nice place to live despite the microaggressions. Um, and also it's a, it's a place with a good quality of life, mm -hmm. but relatively low cost of living mm -hmm. where you can experiment in business because you don't need to make a huge amount of money to, to survive basically, you know, so it has allowed me to experiment with Leipzig local. That's a good point you make. I, I actually feel the same way. The quality of life, you don't need to make a lot of money to have the, it's a good quality of life here in, in this part of Germany, I think. Yeah. yeah. You know, like you asked me, like, why, you know, Dessau, like one of the reasons we stay here, I think is because of the weekend bike tours that we do, right? To Wurlitz, yeah. or, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people that love that area where you live. I think there's also, you know, there's a big biking and hiking culture here. So you have a lot of trails. It's true. That is true. So it's really like over uh, past summer, we went on a bunch of bike tours because also what else were you going to do? Like you couldn't <laughs> very, very far <laughs> or you weren't advised to, you know, we did travel one, like there was this tiny window of time where, where you're able to travel to other parts of Europe. So we did go to France. Switzerland but that was compared to how we used to travel how much we used to travel before like it really has min has been minimal over the past year yeah over the last year you're exactly right about that so Leipzig local you talked about the early beginnings of it and, and where it came from how has it evolved over the last couple of years well, in 2018, we started making a little bit of money, so I had to get a Gewerbe, uh, uh, right? I made a Gewerbe on Meldung, like you, I registered as a, um, a company, solo, solo proprietor of a okay. company, so that we could get paid. And um, then we started getting a bit more advertisements, including for Inlingua. Inlingua has been a very nice and loyal customer actually mm -hmm. local. Um, in Leipzig Andrian she she is the director of the school and we met before she was a director of the school and we you know um, developed a very nice cordial friendly business relationship and then right. they have been coming to our job fairs and advertising on our site and purchase sponsor posts so they have been one of the you know, our favorite customers. And um, so, I, but, but I think what really changed it for us were the job fairs themselves because that's where we started getting our uh, biggest income. How so? It's because companies were paying to exhibit there. So they're purchasing stands and they would meet people face to face that they, you know, a bunch of people got hired from that, got job interviews. So we went from being um, almost purely content-driven website mm -hmm. to a website that was organizing these events. Primarily job fairs, 
uh, as a source of income, but also we're organizing networking events. We had an open mic, which we're organizing uh, every couple of months, which mm -hmm. didn't bring us money, but it became a cultural hub in Leipzig, this open mic. At some, like some of the open mics, we had around 100 people, you know, like very talented performers. It was a, a very, very nice evening at a dance school named Baileo. Um, and then people also from the startup community started coming and showing their, their talent, displaying their talent that they don't necessarily do during, you know, startup meetups. So this was a very good chance to solidify our relationships also with members of the startup community that we were trying to break into. Are these mostly like uh, business startups or entrepreneurial startups? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, they're mostly tech. To so be a startup, it's almost a requirement that you, you have, that you're a tech business. If you want to get funding, you know, you, you, you have to uh, display display some sort of tech innovation or like a service providing innovation that, you know, involves technology. Okay. So what's, what's the latest tech going on in Leipzig? What's the latest tech? I think there's a AI is all the rage. Yeah. Which is not something that we do. You know, we really do AI. The biggest like AI thing that we did was like, it's, uh, I had a podcast at some point. I was running a podcast and I called it the botcast. So mm -hmm. I, I um, talked into like a, a voice bot on the internet, the host of our podcast, the biggest AI innovation that we had at some point. And it was pretty fun because I didn't necessarily want to be the host of the podcast. So I you know, made the bot. That's nice. Yeah. What kind of companies generally advertise with your services? So language schools, language uh -huh. uh, learning software, um, e-commerce, okay. health insurance. Um uh spin lab the startup accelerator also has run ads with us spreadshirt and a lot of them are people who have who have come to our job fairs also so the job fairs go hand in hand with the advertisement often so when we have job fairs we get more ads you know because it's all part of the promotion of these exactly jobs. exactly so without with corona this has become very it's become very difficult to mm -hmm to run the business, you know? So how many job, like in a normal year, like how many job fairs would you guys go to? We would organize at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, you know? Are you mainly promoting companies around and inside of Leipzig? Leipzig, Halle, yeah. Also a company from Halle came. There was a company that had a branch in Heidelberg that also mm -hmm. came, but they also, but they were, um, they want, wanted to open a branch in Leipzig and Dresden also, but they wanted to open a branch in Leipzig. So there's usually a Leipzig connection. So have you stopped the podcast? You said you did it once. I did it a few times. Uh -huh. um, also, there was a person who was doing podcasts for us, she did like three or four of them and then stopped. She thought that she could do it every couple of weeks and it would be sustainable, but it's it hard. Good? It takes a lot of work. 
Because it looks like that would be a good avenue, right? Bringing all these people around, like from the community to promote their services or to promote their businesses mm -hmm. to the expat community or to the international community. Yeah. We, we, we actually started having um, not a podcast, but um, online meetings or webinars called Lexi uh -huh. uh, Korea Hacks have been popular because we connect people with um, uh, job seekers, with companies that may be interested in hiring them or organizations that offer services catering to job seekers here for them to find a job this area, which is very challenging, uh, especially for internationals to find a, an adequate job mm -hmm. for their skills in, in this area, especially if their German is not perfect and they're trying to compete with Germans for the same jobs. Yeah. The Germans are probably going to be chosen over them. So how well do you speak German? I don't... It really depends. Mm -hmm. It depends on the situation. Also, I think I have this, I'm nervous about it. So, for example, with my boyfriend's, my boyfriend, my husband, now, now husband's family, they live in uh, the Cologne area, and many of them don't speak English. So from the beginning, I've been used to going there and speaking German the whole time, like for days on end with his family. Mm -hmm. And I can do it for a few hours and then then it starts failing, you know, because it takes such an effort for me to keep it up. But it's not, but I'm not shy about speaking German with them because I've been, it's a habit. Everything is a habit. And I got right. into the habit of speaking and I feel comfortable with them. But in other situations, it's not as easy, especially with friends. Like I'm very shy speaking German with German friends because we've been speaking English from the, from the beginning and it feels weird. And it just feels like, and when like, and then we switch back into English really fast, you know. And yeah, yeah so it really depends on the situation because I I have to think before I speak. I have to think. I have to form sentences in my head. Mm -hmm. um, I usually know the right order to say the words. Um, and also, when people speak directly to me, I understand almost everything. Mm -hmm. you know? Um. And I, so I would say I understand better than I speak when people, you know, talk directly to me. Like during presentations, I cannot, it's, it's harder for me to understand when people are talking to everybody. But when people are talking directly to me, maybe because I'm reading their lips as well. And then I can see from the gestures, also the context, get the gist of it, even if I don't understand every word. Um, so it's really, yeah, but it's not it's not like English or Portuguese or even like Spanish for me where I can just like sure. do it at the drop of a hat, you know, it has, has to be some preparation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't speak German. I took some courses. Uh my partner, I told you she has a B1 certificate. Her comprehension is is very good. Uh yeah, speaking is is difficult. You're right. Like speaking is 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 very difficult. Um, she speaks more than I do, um, but I'm still. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think that living here, there has to be some sort of degree of proficiency to 
yeah, if you if you're looking for like a better job, right, or you're looking for a better opportunity in the workplace, like German is a must. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think also one of the reasons why I continued Leipzig Local mm -hmm. or or made it into a business is to give myself and people like myself chances of, you know, doing something Leipzig. That's a good point. I created the market for myself. No, that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point you make. Um, can I ask what your husband does for a living? He's like, a researcher. He's a historian. So is that why you said earlier, maybe, I mean, you're not temporary in Germany, but maybe Leipzig is not where you're going to end up. Yeah, because in academia, you, you, you got to go where the job is. I think most fields nowadays, it's mm -hmm. like if you're depending on the location to find a job, it's it's a lot harder. And it's a lot harder, as we we're talking about earlier, mm -hmm. to find a stable job. Right. Um, so it's like, and I could, yeah, he's applying for jobs in different places, you know, so we don't know. Like, but I can still be involved in Leipzig Local living somewhere else. That's mm -hmm. the online publishing, right? Do you also see yourself teaching? Like undergraduate students in a university? Yeah, I've done I've done some some of that. Mm -hmm. Did I've you done, enjoy that? Actually, I taught I taught master students uh, during my my global studies. Yeah, yeah, okay. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I have like a little bit of imposter syndrome when I, okay. when I try to teach. It's like, do I really know what I'm talking about? What if I sound stupid? You know, it's like. Because you're, you're trying, like you're presenting a version of reality, you know, and you should sound convincing. You know, that's, that's what, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I try, to, I try to encourage them to also think from other points of view and to, you know, have debates in class, you know, because every story has at least two versions, mm -hmm. that's at least true. two points of view. So. No, it's like... I could see you in a university giving lectures to young, open-minded, creative students. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, it's nice. It's nice when you, uh, these little, these little impacts, you know, that we make in people's lives as educators along the path. Do you enjoy teaching? I do. I do. How does Glocal stand out in Leipzig? It's the only, there are a few sites in English, but they don't publish regularly. Um, they have come and gone, you know, because it's really hard to make it. Mm -hmm. An online publisher in, in this area. Um, we are the only web magazine in English in this area. Is it only sustained on advertisements and all the energy that you guys put into it, of course, but it like financially, does it... I mean, I'm asking this because I don't know. And because I'm also thinking about our podcast and how to monetize it if we, if we ever can. Like, is that what sustains it economically? Advertisement on our jobs page. Um, we also started a matching platform where we have a couple of customers where we match job seekers with potential employers or, you know, like service providers with uh, people okay, who so, need those services. Yeah, so how does that work? If if I find a match on that website for a position, does the 
do you get revenue from the company or? Yeah, or... from the company. Okay. okay. We manually match basically. Okay. Like based on people's profiles. Like Perfect. they fill out a survey. So we just, we started that a few months ago and it's going slowly, but it's something. Um, and a little bit of Corona money that we got. Okay. Mm -hmm. For small businesses, there's Corona help available. So um, I don't know if you wanna if you wanna start something. Pro probably, I mean, you you can get some help for that too. Some loans. Um, if you wanna get a loan, the interest rates are lower. The payback time I think is longer because of Corona also. Okay. They have become more more lenient with, with those things. What's your next target? What kind of market do you want to sort of break into to bring them on board with your vision? Well, right now we're talking about becoming a foreign nonprofit organization that's like driven by the community. I think another thing that makes us stand out is the community that we have built, the loyalty of our community and how people, our readers, some of them become contributors to the website because they love it so much that they want to write for it. Uh, so I think it makes sense to turn it into a social organization and get funding that way, like from the city, from uh, other organizations that focus on internationals. So this is like a transition period for us. And, and also to make it sustainable, like if I move on and others move on, we want it to be able to continue regardless of whether or not you get investment money. Right. You know, because a lot of startups, they fail because their major investor pulls out and then, you know, there's no way to continue because they're not profitable. Otherwise, they're only, you know, they're, they depend on investor money. It's like it takes years for them to turn any profit. Well, we, don't, are you, we don't want it to happen to us. Yeah. Yeah. Are you getting any funding from the local municipality, like the city itself? Not, not yet. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to get funding from the city if you become a nonprofit organization. Okay. With like a, a clear social goal, you know? Right. There are many funding schemes for that. But to capture those funds, we have to become a nonprofit organization. And then of course, I mean, we can't, as board members, we can't make a living from this. It's like, it's a very limited amount of money that you can get. Right. A board member, but I think it's better for the project if we do that. Yeah. So are you working towards that goal of becoming a nonprofit? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that that's happening in the near happen future? That's happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's happening in the near future. Uh, we, we, we have to find the right model, like the right wording for the, con for the, for the constitution. You have to have a constitution. You have to have at least seven board members to start. So we're working that out as well, but it's definitely a goal for the near future. How can people get more involved or involved or contribute to the local? They can write either to the general address mm -hmm. or to uh, our editor-in-chief, Heiner. If you want to write directly to Heiner, it's H-E-I-N-E-R, Heiner, mm -hmm. at lipglow.com. If you want to write to the general address, which we all get, it's contact with a C, you know, contact mm -hmm. at lifeload.com. Okay. Especially content is uh, we're looking for. 
Is there a space that you're primarily interested in promoting as far as like certain content? What do you mean? Um, I'm just trying to think, how could I contribute? Because I want to contribute, but it won't be, I don't know Leipzig that well, right? So it won't be something related to the city itself. Well, you can write about this, so if you'd okay. like. Okay. You can write about the places you travel to on your bike. People are very interested in possible bike routes that they mm -hmm. can go on or, or hiking trails. Definitely interested in that. Um, even we accept, even if you like cooking, we accept recipes. If you saw a, a movie you really liked on Netflix or another streaming platform, you can write about that movie. It's something that our readers can also do, I think is the, you know. And the, uh, how did you call it? The aggressions, like the- Microaggressions. Can we write about microaggressions? Yes, of course. Experiences okay. with discrimination. We are completely independent basically. So it's, you can write about whatever you want as long as it's respectful. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's an opportunity for respectful dialogue, you know. Right, right. So we accept different points of view, but they have to be respectful towards others, you know. Yeah. That's our main rule. Of course, we are more left-wing, but um, we have had contributors who were, who were more conservative and who, you know, I was the editor at the time and I had to have a conversation with them saying, look, you know, and then they, they say that, that they appreciated that I was willing to publish them, even though they know that we're more left-wing, I was mm -hmm. um, willing to publish them. And then they became more moderate because of that also, you know, Yeah. they were marginalized, you know. You said over the course of the interview that you're not, as much involved hands-on day-to-day in the publication like what are you doing these days like you I, were the, you were the edit you were the you were the editor i was the editor-in-chief yeah okay so what uh, are you at some point i was writing uh, publishing every other day at mm -hmm. some point every day like it was very very assiduous and i was looking at every single article basically and uh, like we have had over 1,600 articles and I wrote like a fourth of them myself. Okay. So I was like completely obsessed with this project, I think for a long time. And then I got a pretty bad burnout. Uh, and uh, about a year ago, I just, I decided I would take seven weeks off from the project, which never happened before. I had never been able to disconnect, you know, cause I was also doing social media. I was, when the site crashed, I had to solve those issues, even though I did not have an IT background, I had to learn how to solve those issues. But now we have a small team where we had, we have an IT specialist, we have a new editor in chief, and we have a person who handles social media. Mm -hmm. So now it's like I'm handling the business part, you know, the financial part, Okay. which also I was doing before, but now I'm focusing on that. The financial part, um, I talk, on a weekly basis with our biggest clients, basically at the mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm responsible for those, for maintaining those relationships. And some articles I help with the editing, 
And also I write from time to time, especially articles that have to do with like changes coming to life. Well, whatever, I write those articles because I've been there since the beginning and I know all the phases of the project. So I right. can better write about those things. I mean, do you think you're going to stay in Leipzig for the next couple of years? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what could come up. Do you Because also I'm working, like I want to have an academic career too. Since like I published this book last year, I got back into it. My, my mind got back into this academic mm -hmm. stuff and I really enjoyed the process of finishing up this book, even revising the footnotes. I enjoyed that, imagine, right? So I was really like in a flow state when I was doing that. And, and so I, I decided from that point on that I would start building, rebuilding an academic identity for myself. So okay. it's like, I have a Twitter that's separate. It's like my academic identity, Twitter. I have a LinkedIn that's like moving more in that direction as well. Cause it's all about like the brand that you make for yourself, right? And my brand for the, for such a long time was directly associated with Lightflow. And I, okay. at some point I couldn't even separate my identity from Lightflow, you know? Okay. So I had at some point, and, and, and that's not sustainable. I think a lot of founders, they suffer from this. And when their startup fairs or whatever, there are changes. I mean, they become really depressed, you know, mm -hmm. founder depression is something that should be talked about more and burnout and things like that. Because your self-worth is so wrapped up with this thing. You know, I had to, I had to have some separation, you know. So where do you see yourself teaching in the next couple of years then? What university do you want to go back to? The university that wants me. <laughs> the university that gives me a chance because this is like I was out of academia for so long that it, now it's hard to get back in. And especially if you've done other things in your life, they don't like that very much. I wouldn't say every university. Mm -hmm. Maybe you, I think in the U.S. they're more open towards people who have done other things in their life. Sure. Like you hire them as lecturers. But in Germany, for example, they are a lot more conservative about that in other places in Europe. Right. So I, I need, you know, like someone has to give me a chance to, to get started, you know, after my, my PhD. That's, that's a criteria right now. A place that's, you know, nice to work for and that gives me a chance. Do you want to stay in Europe or do you want to go to the States? Mm, I don't necessarily want to go to the States, but I would for the right job. Yeah. I, I would go back for the right job for like a little while. Like my husband, he has a fascination with the U.S. Like I think many Germans have a fascination with the U.S. <laughs> and he really, he, he would like to live there for a couple of years. Okay. You know, so he's very open, open to that. Um, so, and, and I know that I, you know, I might may have opportunities there that I don't have here, you know. See, that's the thing. The you have, you have a lot of, you have a lot of opportunities there that you don't have here. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, I mean, the, the, there's no language barrier, first yeah. of all. Second of all, I know I've already worked there. So like I, I spent a very formative period of my life from age 13 to age 26 in the US. Mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, what it's like to work there. I know what it's like to build a life there. Um, and all those, 
and, and now I have an international experience that a lot of Americans don't. So that gives me an advantage, yeah. you know, and I have to, if opportunities knock on my door, I'm not, I'm not in a position to say no. Right. You know, because it's like, it's re- very precious to nowadays to get like um, a stable job, at least for a little, for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and in Corona times, you know, so many unemployed people, so many businesses had to shut down, yeah. you know. So I'm, I'm pretty open to also, I would move to, I would move pretty much anywhere. And my husband is also very supportive and he'd be open. He loves to travel, loves to get to know new places. So. Okay. I'm just thinking which university I could see you in, in the States. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> You're undercover recruiter. <laughs> You can send me an email with suggestions if you'd like later. Do you want a big school or a little school? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I really appreciate suggest if you have any suggestions, please send them my way. If you yeah. I, I'm pretty open to, to yeah. things. Yeah. But I, I need to get more teaching experience. Um especially if I wanna have a, an academic career in Germany. I also have to improve my German for an academic career in Germany, I know. Um, but I mean, no, but unfortunately, like, I mean, you're certainly qualified to teach in these universities. Yeah, it's about hiring, right? Um, I'll, I'll see you in Leipzig, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'll talk your head off there. But um, yeah, I won't say goodbye. I'll just say until until I see you again. Like, it's really nice. It's been a pleasure. It was it was much more like a conversation than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the way I like it, you know. And it's, and I think actually, like these um, online meeting rooms, they lend themselves to that. Yeah. Every single true. conference or 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 webinar that I've been to, it ended up being like a conversation. It's very open. Everyone is. People are not maybe as intimidated to speak members of the audience as you know, like in. Okay. Yeah, offline formats. That's nice. my impression. No, it's good. Like, you know, I can't believe the Wilmington thing, man. That's crazy. Yep. And I loved, I loved Wilmington. I think it's one of those islands of progressiveness in North Carolina, like Asheville, Wilmington. You have these islands, mm-hmm. there's, and then they're surrounded by countryside and suburbs mm-hmm. and stuff where people are very conservative. But Wilmington was really, really pleasant place to live and I had great friends there. Have you ever been to the campus, uh, the the University of Wisconsin at Madison? Have you ever visited that campus? No. Okay, I can see you at, I could see you at UW-Madison. That's a fantastic school. Okay. Anyway. Send me some links if you can. All right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Have no, a nice thank day. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Enlingua Podcast, live from Dessau. We hope you stay tuned for more episodes.